if we can master that relationship with time, it becomes an unbelievable process, an unbelievable way of living, an unbelievable life. Because to be honest with you, those do go hand in hand. Okay, so that's my mentor, Tracy. She helps me figure out how to reach my goals in life. We check in about twice a week, and what we're talking about here is time management. Okay, why? what's going on? You didn't like that? I'm wondering why you said it that way. <laughs> I don't know, man. I have this, this really interesting relationship with time. Like, I totally love schedules, and I love to-do lists. Um, but I also completely and utterly reject and hate them at the exact same time. And I get a little flustered when I talk about it, you know, because I'm really trying to work on that balance between work and professional life. Do you know what I'm talking about, Rage Kitty? You do. You have a really hard time with this, don't you? I mean, you know the answer to that. Like, I send you emails at like two and three yeah. in the morning, and then uh-huh. I'm texting you when uh-huh. I'm like on. I'm like, I'm on family time, but I but thought you're of this. texting me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's terrible. You just cut that crap out. Seriously, <laughs> we're like, hang out with your family, hang out with Chris, and more importantly, like, go to bed, sleep for a little I bit. I have Seriously. a problem, Patty. I, I know you do. Acknowledgement is the first step. Good job. Okay. Anywho, so Tracy gave me this time management assignment. Um, for two weeks, I had to write down my schedule every day and everything I did and the time I did it in was accounted for in the calendar on my phone. Yeah. Well, actually it was really awesome at first. Like I really dug it. So it started, I woke up at seven 30, little wakey, wakey prayer and meditation, uh, at eight o'clock at shower, coffee, stretching house cleanup. And I started laundry. But after a handful of days, I kind of started to hate it. And I know is classic. So, but like the biggest bummer. And I think the reason why I started to hate it was that I felt like everything I was doing was becoming like transactional. Um, like I rushed through things. Uh, I rushed through phone calls with my my folks. I rushed through connecting with Christine so I could, like, get to another work-related activity. Yay, you're like me. Ugh, it's terrible. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> and so, anyways, when I told this to Tracy, when we got on the phone, she told me that I was looking at time all wrong. You can do a lot of things with the clock and time that aren't going to lend to ultimately the legacy and the purpose of your life, right? Mm-hmm. So is that going to be positive? It's not going to be negative, but it's certainly not going to be fulfilling. So basically, Tracy said, I shouldn't be trying to fill up my time with work-related stuff. Like, I should be trying to figure out how to best spend my time and how to, like, really, really live in those moments that add the most meaning to my life. All we have is time. That's all you and I have is time. So then, uh, like, a a better relationship with the clock means, um, like, a, like, more depth of experience? Yes. More more connection? Absolutely. Excellent, Patty, yes. So, Tracy and I have been trying to come up with a plan for how to manage my clock to include mindfulness and purpose into everything that I do and it 
ain't easy. Well, when you figure it out, I want you to tell me because okay. I probably need a plan too. <laughs> like I don't have one right? unless you count like burning the candle at both ends and then having a meltdown and then spending days <laughs> catching up on sleep and then starting the whole cycle all over again. Yeah. Only this time I've added more responsibility because yeah. I'm like, I was able to do it before. That's not, that is not a plan. That's not a well, plan. Well, yeah, probably not. <laughs> that is a defense mechanism, I think. <laughs> so this is why I was so excited to talk to Eric Jackson. If you're a kayaker, you know who Eric is. Chances are you paddle in one of his boats from his company, Jackson Kayaks. And if you don't know him, well, Eric's kind of got a handle on how he fills his days. He's a full-time dad, a full-time attentive husband, a business owner. He's juggled a pro kayaking career, two Olympic runs, insane fitness and training schedules, personal time, fun time, building a home, living in an RV, and near homelessness. Eric's led a wild life, personally and professionally, and he has an idea that challenges the typical notions of how to best spend our time. I believe you should find your worthy purpose and come to terms with it. What is a worthy purpose? And what does it mean to come to terms with it? Let's find out. I'm Patty O'Connell. And I'm Elizabeth Nakano. Welcome to Safety Third, a show about ideas and how we come to believe in them. When I was a little kid, we lived in Pennsylvania. My dad worked for Piper Aircraft, and uh, I was six years old when he was invited to go on our first whitewater canoe trip on Pine Creek. It's uh, called the Grand Canyon of Pennsylvania, <laughs> and uh, it was all the test pilots from Piper got together and invited him, and uh, I got to go along, and it was whitewater canoeing in a Grumman canoe, but one of the test pilots made a homemade kayak, um, uh, Wilbur something, I can't remember his last name. Anyway, he or Wilford Kling was his name, and uh, he he let me paddle his kayak, and I wouldn't give it back. And I got to run some little rapids in it and stuff. And really quickly, I started calling myself a kayaker. I was six years old, and I was good at it, and um, made me feel good about myself. But uh, just that trip, you know, going to doing a two-day overnight camping trip on the river, just an awesome experience. Probably the best experience probably I'd had to date in terms of that type of an adventure, like my first real adventure, and. Uh, and I wanted more of those adventures. Mm -hmm. And we did that for the next three years until we moved to Florida. Uh, so I had a drought in whitewater from ages 10 to 15 where I was fishing all the time. But we moved back to New Hampshire at age 15. And that's when we, my dad and I bought kayaks. And I really started kayaking full time at that stage. Uh, my, my, my entire plan was to be the best kayaker in the world, to be, win the Olympics, win a gold medal in the world championships. And then once I achieved those goals, then I would you know, start a, a career of some sort, um, retire from kayaking. Dude, what? After I try something new, my response is typically like, wow, that was neat. I think it's time for a ham sandwich. And Eric's response is, that was fun. I should try to win the Olympics. What the hell, man? How is that even a thing? It's called ambition, Patty. <laughs> okay. Okay. Anyways, Eric was set on achieving his goals, right? Hmm, kind of. Even though he knew what he wanted to do, Eric also felt conflicted about really going for it. What I learned from my dad growing up, or, you know, my dad was a product of the 50s, and 
in the 50s, you go to school, you get a good degree, you get a job at a big company and you work there for 40 years and get a pension. That's like, that's the cool thing to do. Like that's, that's success right there. But when Eric was 18 years old, he was given two things that changed his mind about the legitimacy of his plan. And ironically, both things came from his dad. The first was a set of self-development cassette tapes. You know, my, my dad never thought of himself as being a very much of a people person and struggled with, you know, he was pretty stern. He's a Green Beret, 82nd Airborne, pretty tough guy, you know, um, not warm and fuzzy, but um, very intelligent, um, hard worker. My mom was the very um, good people person, but she died when I was 18 years old and he did some Dale Carnegie courses and some stuff through work that um, he felt really helped him. Okay, really quickly, Dale Carnegie was a writer and a lecturer. You know that book, How to Win Friends and Influence People? Yeah, he wrote that. He was kind of like the first self-help guy, or at the very least, one of the most popular and influential self-help guys of all time. Okay, back to Eric. And he thought they would be helpful for me, I guess, and uh, gave me the Psychology of Winning tapes by Dennis Waitley. And they were, uh, it's like a pop psychology program from the from the 80s. And um, it's 10 principles that attitudinal and actionable qualities of, of winners in life. Um, winners, whether it be athletes or in business or in family and astronauts to uh, whatever, uh, world leaders, um, qualities of a winning human being, I guess. Um, winning meaning winning in life in general, um, right. uh, being a good person for society, not just somebody that you know, makes a lot of money, for example. So I was in college, and I literally would put them in. They were cassette tapes, and I'd put them in, and I'd listen with my roommate, Eric Van Leer, at University of Maine. It basically teaches you how to design your own life. Um, uh, it helps you think outside of the box. And, um, you know, one of, the, uh, one of the lines in it is, are your, are your prejudices inherited, or are they your own? And it, it was kind of all-encompassing for me. And the, the basic idea is the things you believe because your parents believe them, or are they your own concepts? The second thing Eric received from his dad, money. He got a $3,000 loan. I asked my dad if I could borrow $3,000 to uh, go to Europe to race in, in kayaking races. Uh-huh. He ended up actually getting a loan at a credit union, used that money to go to Europe for six weeks and race in some B-level races. It was my first international kayaking experience. And I came back a 20-year-old change man. Um so it's like, boy, if I go back to school, I can't train. And like, well, I guess I'm not going to go back to school. So I dropped out of college, and that was uh, after I finished my junior year. So it would have been my senior year of, of engineering school. Uh, and I the fall. So you borrow three grand for your dad to go on a kayaking trip. Uh, to, to compete in Europe, you have such a great time that you come back and you say, "Dad, thanks so much for the three grand." Uh, th- for the three grand, by the way, I'm done with school. <laughs> Thank you for this opportunity you've given me, but it's really showed me that school is stupid. So thanks, Dad. <laughs> I'm sure he was psyched to hear that. Exactly. That's pretty. That's you know, I probably didn't put it just like that, but that's the gist of what happened. Um, I got back. I wanted more <laughs> of that. Like that experience. That was amazing. I went to. I don't know, 12 different countries and met all these different people with different cultures and I'm training and trying to win and um, just so much more depth to my life just, you know, came out of nowhere in, in six weeks that I, it was like being addicted to some 
opiate or something. I wanted more of that. And um, school clearly was in the way of that. So I dropped out with no plan other than, well, now I don't have to go to school. I can train more. Uh, and my dad was not excited about it at all. Um, he basically said, okay, well, that's your choice, but uh, you know, you're cut off. I'm not going to support you in any way, shape, or form going forward. Not only that, but here's a itemized bill for $13,000 that you owe me oh, now what? because... Oh, harsh. Oh, whatever, yeah. And I was like, thirteen grand. Yeah, I don't have $13,000, Dad, but I don't remember signing i don't remember signing that purchase order there not that i knew that term at the time but um <laughs> right like right. uh yeah i won't be paying I, i'm gonna file this away and i want you to know that it is at the top of my priority list <laughs> yeah so my dad was trying to force my hand he's like well you owe me thirteen thousand, so how are you gonna do that and um that didn't play well with me either it was so we kind of like uh we didn't talk a little bit at the moment you know it was for a little while i was just like well I'm not even going to talk to him, but I'm just going to go kayaking. How long is a little while? Uh, I don't remember. We didn't really, we weren't, didn't hate each other or anything. It wasn't like we didn't want to talk, but he was really doing everything he could to try to figure out how to make me feel like I had to go back to school, like I needed him. And I was out to prove that, well, I don't need you. I'm going to figure it out on my own. Figuring it out on his own meant busting his ass. He found a part-time job selling insurance. And when he wasn't doing that, he was in the water kayaking. Eric put in over 500 workouts a year. He also really downsized his living situation so he could cut as many costs as possible. At that stage, this was in um, 1985. I was living in my 1976 Toyota Celica GT hatchback with a sheepskin fur dashboard that I did and a a EJ... (laughs) black walnut stick shift that I made on a lathe at my dad's house. And it was like, they called it the pimp mobile. <laughs> Sounds roomy. It was roomy, not only roomy, but I didn't have money just for food. Oh. Um, no, the, the car was paid for. Food and gas were a challenge. Um, for food, my two primary methods, Kentucky Fried Chicken at 11 p.m. every night would throw away all their food that they still had in the warming drawers. Uh-huh. Um, I would pull up to the drive through and I got to know the people there, 11 p.m. every night, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and I'd say, hey, what do you got? And then they'd just give me a big old bag of, they had those little square chicken biscuits at the time. Yeah. Anyway, I survived on those. And then um, uh, there was other methods. Uh, Domino's Pizza was a big part of it. Um, but believe it or not, I was capable of going to gas stations. I knew a lot of mom-and-pop gas stations that I could stop at and get $5 with a gas sponsored. Like they knew they that I didn't have money, whatever. They knew I was yeah. trying to make the U.S. kayak team, and they'd give me $5 gas now and then, and that's how I got around with my car. So you're so you're hustling hard, you know, just to, you know, keep your head above water and just to keep food in your belly. I mean, w- was there any time when you were like, man, what am I doing? I This is dumb. I should go back to school. This is too hard. Yeah, th- this, you know, when I paddled well and I was training well, it didn't really matter how much how much bad things were going on. I was I was moving towards my goal and I was happy and I felt I was doing the right things. When I wasn't paddling well, I was questioning what I was doing. The hustle was brutal and Eric craved financial stability. For a little while, he traded his kayak for a business suit and he started a management company. And then 
He was shot. What? With an arrow from Cupid because he fell in love. Okay. <laughs> I met my wife, Christine, who she saw that transformation. She met me at a kayak race, and then she saw me with a business suit in my car. Yeah. She's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, that's not who you are. You're a kayaker. You like kayaking. You should just do that. So I drove home, drove back to D.C. by begging for gas along the way. Anyway, went home, closed the office, and became a kayaker full-time again. And she literally is the one that kept my kayaking career going when all the forces in my life were trying to force me back to college and, you know, to be a responsible person like I need to be so I could get a job and support a family one day. Eric and Christine eventually married, and they settled in D.C. They started a family, and Eric continued focusing on his kayaking career. I started teaching people to kayak, and I realized in my instructing of kayaking, I was really changing other people's lives for the better. I was introducing people in suburban Washington, D.C. area to an outdoor sport that they would take and run with it. And they were meeting new friends and people were meeting, getting married that I introduced together. And in, in my own little way, my kayaking started becoming influential in a positive way on other people. And it was at that point I decided that, wow, kayaking, there is a, a worthy side to it. There's a it's, it, it is valuable to other people, not just myself. It's not just a selfish activity. Yeah. So can you define worthy purpose? What does that mean? What does worthy purpose mean? Um, in the spirit of way, the way I'm using worthy purpose, um, I, worthy purpose is something that's worthy in, in how it can positively affect others or you know, how it can bring value um, not only to yourself but to others. In other words, you know, living well for yourself so you can give yourself away to others. You know, um, if you don't ha if you don't live well for yourself, you can, can only be so much value. You can only provide so much value to other people. Mm -hmm. The only activities that I think make sense for becoming a worthy purpose are are things that are in some way goal achieving. And if you find a, a, an activity that you really enjoy, that's that that is in some way goal achieving, that you're fired up on, that you're motivated to do, that you can imagine yourself getting up every day and doing it more and more and more and not getting tired of it, well, then that's probably a good indicator that that or something like that is qual uh, would qualify as a worthy purpose for you. Eric decided that kayaking was his worthy purpose. It was more than a goal, and that was the moment when everything got easy. That can't be right. You are correct. Things got harder. Find out what happens after the break. We'll be right back after a short word from our sponsor. I was living and training in a place that wasn't my first choice. I mean, I think Washington, D.C. area is a great area to live, but... That wasn't where I would choose as an adventure athlete, um, kayaker. I wasn't getting to all the great rivers of the world like I wanted. You know, um, I'm traveling a lot, and my wife's not happy because I'm not home, and she's not happy because I don't leave her enough money to to do anything, um, to live normally. Um, you know, we were really scraping bare bones. Eric was juggling a lot. He was instructing kayaking full time and training for, and then competing in professional competition all over the U.S. and the world. Plus, there's just that tiny other little thing, being an attentive partner to Christine and building a family. But then something happened that changed everything for Eric and his family, the Olympics. 
I was in the 92 Olympics in Barcelona. I was 13th place. I wanted to win. I thought I was going to win, but I messed up. Trained four more years to win the 96 Olympics. That was going to be my big win. And then U.S. team trials, 96. I mess up on day one and then um, ended up getting second place on day two, not making the team. And I didn't even make the Olympic team in 96. And we were getting ready to drive home and taking. We went to get on the exit on 75 North out of Cleveland, Tennessee. And instead, we went on to 75 South, my wife and my um, two kids, um, Emily and Dane, who were little at the time, and we drove to Disney World <laughs> and kind of uh, spent a couple days there. And I reflected on what really wanted to do with life. And it, like my whole world was turned upside down. Like, yeah. like, how do I win the Olympics? I'm not even on the team right now. Right. What happened with at that moment was, you know, over the next few months, my wife and I had some serious conversations about, you know, what are we going to do? And, um, we came to terms with the idea that uh, I wanted, I know I wanted to travel as a kayaker and be on the road full time and just be a kayaker and not be tied down to Washington, D.C. and really put my skills to use as an adventure athlete, not just a slalom racer. And my wife wanted us to be together all the time. And she came up with the idea we move into an RV full time. So we move out of our Bethesda, Maryland home that we were renting and get rid of our land cruiser that we bought, move into an RV. She would pull the kids out of school, which were second grade and preschool, and she'd homeschool them. And that would be our new thing. This decision to move, to fully bring his family into his kayaking pursuit, was pivotal in helping Eric land on his belief. According to Eric, people need to find their worthy purpose and come to terms with it. Remember, Eric had already decided that kayaking could be a worthy purpose. Now he was working out what commitment to his worthy purpose meant. The whole concept of coming to terms with that is the fact that most people aren't going to agree with it if it's not standard, if it's not a standard society thing. So here's the way I look at it. You have to first decide on your own that I don't care that whether people agree with it. I think it's important. I really want to do it and I'm going to pursue it. 30 days after they decided to move into an RV, Eric and his wife actually did it. They bought a 1996 Coachman Murata, and they were on the road. 30 frickin' days. What? If you know me, once, once I know, once I make a decision, um, I move fast. There's no reason to delay. I just can't wait to get on. Oh, we decided to do something cool. Let's do it. And my wife is the same way. Halloween, the day after Halloween, November 1st, 1997, we had the RV parked in front of our house, and we swept the floor. We had a a yard sale we advertised in the Washington Post, and literally, we didn't even pack the house. We just had invited people to our house, and they bought everything that was in the house. Seriously? We set, seriously, we just booked You just on the had a bunch shelves. of strangers walking through your house, picking out st- things like in drawers, off the shelf, like in cabinets? Everything. We didn't pack a single... <laughs> literally, the, the, kids got, the kids got a single bucket each, like a small plastic bucket for toys. Yeah. We put it in the RV... Um, we took some so you didn't have a yard out. sale, dude. You didn't have a yard sale. You had like a like an at home DIY thrift store sale. <laughs> it was unbelievable. We um, it was we had people. I mean the like the bed still made. And they're like, well, 
what are you doing at the bed? Like, well, do you want the sheets and pillows and blankets or what all do you want? You know, like, and it, literally was the bed still warm too. It was still, it was still warm. We slept on it that night. It was unbelievable. But literally yeah. in Saturday morning at five 30 in the morning, we had a line outside our house. People were showing up. And by Sunday, um, that next day that we literally swept the floor and there wasn't a single thing left in the house. And it was literally so liberating. And it was such a lesson for myself and for my wife that we've uh, we've tried to le- learn from that and develop on that concept right. of of uh, I call it life without compromise, but of of understanding your priorities and making decisions based on that. So once Eric and his wife figured out their priorities, they developed a system for making decisions around the things that mattered most to them. And it wasn't something fancy schmancy. It was something we've all probably done at one point or another. Make a list. I have a priority list. Christine, my wife, is first. My kids are second. Um, my, I call it my athletics is third um, in there. And, that, and that's right ahead of my business, so the business of being a sponsored athlete. That priority list, um, it's there to help me remember what I'm doing um, and why. It's there to help me make decisions right. and make them, make them properly, make them quickly, and make them without fear and doubt. So people are like, well, what if your wife told you you weren't allowed to kayak anymore? And it's like, well, I, I'd still kayak. Like, yeah, but what if she said, you have, you have, if, you don't, if you keep kayaking, I'm leaving you. And I'm like, well, see ya. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, that doesn't, that's not your priority list. I'm like, well, I just removed her from the top of the priority list. Anybody who really cared for me wouldn't ask me to give up my favorite thing in the world. It's been 20 years since Eric and his family committed themselves to his worthy purpose. Since then, they've lived out of their RV for months at a time while Eric chases his kayaking opportunities. And he's accomplished just a wee bit. He's clocked in 26 years on the USA kayaking team and has won over 100 events, the most of any kayaker in history ever, including four World Freestyle Championships, the 1993 World Championships, and silver medals in the Worlds in 97 and then in 2009. Along the way, Eric taught his kids to kayak, he began coaching others for competition, and in 2004, he started a business selling, what else? Kayaks, of course. Jackson Kayaks is considered the leader in the kayak world. For whitewater kayaks, Jackson Kayaks has been number one in the market since 2007. And today, the company has sold over 200,000 kayaks and has 150 employees out of Tennessee. And Eric says everything he's accomplished is because of that worthy purpose and that priority list around it. Which sounds nice and simple, but there was something that stuck out in my brain. One of the things that, that might stand out to me, though, or, or I should say one of the things that does stand out to me is that in order to give a shit about one thing, you kind of have to not give a shit about a lot of other things. You know, you, you have to be okay <laughs> yeah. with being uh, uncompromising. But do you lose anything with that? Okay, that's, that's actually, that is a very good point. Um, I believe, so the way I look at it, I, absolutely, I think I don't sacrifice anything. I mean, anything important to me. There's a lot of things I would enjoy. I enjoy skiing and snowboarding. I enjoy, there's so many things I 
really like doing. I like you know bike riding and rock climbing and um, flying radio-controlled model airplanes. I'm, there's so many things I enjoy doing that I could do, and I realize that I'm not doing them because I'm spending so much time um, kayaking, fishing, running a business, hanging out with my family. Um, do you lose anything? You, you do lose things. There's a lot of ac things that you're not doing that you could do if you were doing those activities. It's up to you to decide which is more important, those things or the things that you're doing. And that's, that's where that priority list um, not only comes into play, but reviewing your priority list needs to come into play. Like, are you, did you set the right priority list? Are you doing the right things? Is this really what's important to you? So, Rage Kitty, I thought I would give what Eric's saying a try and make a priority list of my own. And what did you come up with? Well, uh, I'm still working that, on let, it. Let me see. Let me <laughs> give, see. Hey, okay. give that back. That is not a finished draft. That is not All the right, final. So, okay. Skiing, Christine, okay. family, storytelling. <laughs> Wait. You put skiing before everything else. Shush your head, lady. It's, it's, I it's said number that was one. not a final draft. Would you wow. cut me a break? That was really tough for me to figure out, okay? And you cannot tell me that rock climbing wouldn't be on yours. Or what about parasailing? Well, huh? I, okay, you know it's paragliding, first of all. Aren't those the same thing? And, I'm pretty sure. Okay, I'm going to choose to ignore that. And second of all, I can tell you for sure that rock climbing wouldn't be top five. Uh -huh. And if paragliding were in the list, like the top five, it would definitely be dead last of those top five. Whatever, okay? Like, for me, I'm a skier, right? Okay, this is why this was hard. I'm mm -hmm. a skier, but I'm also a storyteller. But would I kick Christine or my family to the curb in order to tell a story or go skiing? Probably if it had just dumped snow. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Mm. Well, okay. Well, how much would how much snow are we talking? <laughs> <laughs> just joking. Uh, Never mind. No, you're I'm not. Kidding. You, we I both know kidding. that like I that was kidding. a legit question that popped into your head, uh, and you're like, I'm going to cloak this as a joke. <laughs> Never mind. Let's breeze past that. That is not the point. The point is, is that my list can be edited, and according to Eric, that is okay. I want to ask one more question, though. Um, without kayaking in your life, could you still live a fulfilled life? Right now, I'm in a, a transitional period in my life where for the last 30-some years, I've been dedicated full-time to becoming the best whitewater kayaker in the world. Right. Um, and I feel like achieved that, and I dominated my sport for about a 15-year period where I won almost every event I competed in and did a lot of amazing first ascents and adventures and so on and so forth. And my kayak company and whatever, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just somebody who likes to, to be competitive and achieve things and try to, 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 to do great things that people haven't done before and somehow turn that into a, a you know, a habit, a worthy purpose that can help other people. So right now um, I'm kind of treading, running over the same ground and I'm ready for a new adventure. So yeah, I can be happy whether I'm kayaking or not. Absolutely. You've been listening to Safety Third. Our guest today was Eric Jackson. And what's his new adventure? He's now on the pro bass fishing circuit. He thinks he can be the best. No surprise there. If you like today's show, please tell your friends about it. Spread the word. Our website is safetythirdpodcast.com. You can see pictures, videos, and even suggest a guest there. 
Safety Third is produced by Elizabeth Nicano. Alex Park edited this episode. Additional production help from Tasha French-Lemley. Music by my brother, yes, my brother, Brendan Manbun O'Connell. Art direction by Anya Miller-Berg. Fitzka Hall is our creative director. Becca Cahal is our executive producer. I'm your host, Patty O'Connell. Okie dokie, pals. Until next time, keep it tight, keep it loose, and remember, safety third. <laughs>